Welcome to the Learner.co show, hosted by Kevin Horick and his fellow Learner co-founders. Listen in as groundbreaking leaders discuss what they've learned. Discover the books, podcasts, presentations, courses, research, articles, and lessons that shape their journey. To listen to past episodes and find links to all sources of learning mentioned, visit learner.co. That's learner with two L's, dot co. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Rick West. He's the CEO and co-founder at Field Agent. John and Greg, what are you looking forward to learning from Rick today? Oh, I'm interested. I haven't. He has a really interesting company. They do. Um, uh, I guess it's what I think of as mystery shopping. But what intrigues me is that they they started in 2010, and they seem to have really leveraged uh, mostly the phone. Uh, the iPhone, and that was really early on in the in the iPhone after it was released. So I'm, I'll be interested to hear that. Yeah, that's that was pretty prescient, obviously. That, so you know, Rick's clearly a pretty sharp guy, and and I think it's really interesting too because you know, looking at his his career arc, he he started off in a place that that seems pretty comfortable to most people. Uh, you know, when you started a, a like like Procter and Gamble, he'll tell his story. But P and G, you start a P and G, you'd think that's a pretty nice place to to stay safe and have a whole career at. And so I'm fascinated to find out, you know, what what drove the change and and how that how it was sort of shaped along that way. So I'm excited for that. Very cool. All right, on with the show. Rick, great to chat with you again. Kevin, man, as always, I've been looking forward to this. I can't wait to kind of dig into a few things today. Yeah, I'm excited. We, we haven't talked in a couple of years, so I'm, I'm curious to get kind of your thoughts on a, a number of things, kind of see where field agents kind of gone throughout the pandemic. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little, you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm probably one of the unique guys. I'm sure everyone tells you this, Kevin, but I tell people that I'm a uh, you are you are I'm a combination of hillbilly elegy and Friday Night Lights. So if you're a movie or a TV fan, <laughs> you get both of those. Uh, but I grew up in Appalachia. Um, okay. My uh, dad uh, was a railroader. My grandparents, grandfather was one with a blacksmith and did some coal mining work, and the other was a railroader. Cool. Uh, my brother's a coal miner. And okay. so I, my roots come from that Appalachia upbringing. Uh, but as I, I grew up and kind of navigated through life, ended up working for this little company called Procter & Gamble, which is crazy how I got there. Okay. And did the corporate world thing for about 17 years in the U.S. Um, worked three years in Asia, a little bit of time in Hong Kong and a little bit of time in Thailand. And from that, uh, really started to understand what the corporate world looked like. But my roots always took me back to this just get it done, solve problem kind of Appalachian background that I had and started this entrepreneurial thing back in uh, 2001. But the, but the roots are there. They, they run deep and long. Okay, interesting. So you went to university. What did you take and why? Obviously that before Procter & Gamble, correct? Yeah, yeah. So the the interesting part, is, especially if your, your listeners on there today, I, I described what I did was uh, – I started out in pre-business and pre-business meant that I thought I was going to be an engineer. Okay. And that lasted for about, uh, you know, a year and a half. And I realized when I got to Calc 3 and the Z dimension and physics, I am so out of my league. <laughs> I mean, in between classes, the guys that knew what they were talking about, were talking about the next, you know, 
thesis and theory and where they were going and calculations. And I was just trying to figure out where to meet my girlfriend and, you know, what color <laughs> next class was going to be. But, but I, I tell you that story is that I ended up in business and I found my, my sweet spot and my major was personnel and industrial relations today. That would be like an organizational effectiveness type of, of role or, okay. or major and really got into team dynamics. What made people tick? I said, man, that is who I am. Now, again, I was, smart enough in math, smart enough in all the other things, but I was never going to be an engineer. But once I got into the theory and understanding people, really got excited about the management aspect of things. And so that was my major. And from that, um, PNG was looking for people to manage teams. So it was really, it didn't matter whether you're on the finance team or supply chain or sales team. It was all about managing people. And I had a ton of experience doing that through my internships and through being an RA. And I just had a lot of people skills. And so that's how I got hired, which even to this day is kind of surprising I got hired. But looking back on it, I can see why they were going after a person like me. Interesting. Okay. So walk us through your career up until coming up with field agent, because you've been doing that for well over a decade now, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're if you're coming from the corporate world, I, I want to you know encourage you that you, you don't have to leave uh, the corporate world after about a year or so. What I learned coming in, again, I was a, a 22, 23 year old thinking I, I knew everything about the world. But what I, I appreciate, especially now looking back on my time, that the fundamental core practices of understanding processes and systems and working within a hierarchy and getting things done. Uh, PNG did a fantastic job teaching me how to do that. Now, I started out in supply chain. Today, it's a cool word. 10 years ago, 15, you've been like supply chain who, but everyone <laughs> thinks supply chain is cool now. Uh, but I started out supply chain, so I had experience on the manufacturing side, experience within distribution. Uh, I had assignments in replenishment. I had uh, assignments within understanding the financial aspect of things. Uh, so that was a, a very broad aspect of how to run a company. And so... When I left the corporate world, I really had really pretty vast experience in understanding how a company worked. Now, at a very macro level, obviously, but really understood it. So I did a ton of assignments. Um, my assignment in the in the U.S. was kind of that supply chain. I did customer-facing work in Florida. But when I left the U.S. and went to Asia, that's when I really started to get into kind of an entrepreneurial side of things with Procter & Gamble. Uh, was living in Hong Kong. I had territory from, think of the Philippines, Japan, Korea, all the way down to New Zealand, uh, working with multinationals coming into countries that really didn't understand how to work with large retailers. And it was kind of the wild, wild west again. I mean, I'm, I'm literally working with distributors in China, helping them understand what a barcode is. Oh, I mean, wow. Those are the days... Uh, there was one Walmart in China and there's, you know, hundreds and there was, you know, macro was just coming in. Carrefour was just coming in. And so it was really exciting. And it felt like you were in this entrepreneur working with this massive company. A uh, couple of years doing that and then went to Thailand, did the same thing, with, but was more country focused. Still had ASEAN as my territory. But again, really becoming more of an entrepreneur because you had the freedom to make decisions that wasn't under this massive corporate infrastructure. And what I learned at that time, which takes me back to getting into the entrepreneurial side of things, Kevin, 
is that okay. I was going to come back to the corporate headquarters for PNG, or they were looking for a couple thousand people to take separation packages because they were downsizing and they needed volunteers. And through my wife, who also worked for PNG at the time, a couple of friends that were here in the States, we decided to take corporate packages and we used that as seed money or angel money to do a startup. Interesting. Okay. So before okay. we dive into that, yeah. I'm curious, I'm curious, is there anything that you learned or realized about America while living abroad? Yeah, you're talking about business-wise, culturally, yeah. give me a little, give me a line. I think I, I would be curious actually on both business okay. and uh cultural wise. Yeah, if it, the, the culture part, and I'll get into kind of um we'll use Thailand as an example. Okay amazing warm country you know engaging it was fantastic to work there we, we could go back to thailand tomorrow but here is a little cultural nuance there's no word in the thai language for no okay the word is my chai not yes my chai my chai my chai not yes so regardless of the country because of that 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 asian aspect of karma and how things kind of worked in you got a lot of maybes and coming from the US, it was more of, you know, get this done. Can you do this? Here's expectations. So I give an example. Once I was had a laptop issue and I took it down to the IT department and I said, hey, I need this fixed. And I was going home that evening. Can I have it fixed the next day? Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe you come back tomorrow morning. I said, great. Get there tomorrow morning. And the laptop's still sitting on the guy's desk and he called in sick. And the guy from the Philippines is just laughing at me. And I said, well, why are you laughing? He said, well, this guy's scared to death to come back to work because he doesn't know how to fix it. He told me <laughs> maybe he couldn't tell you no. He wanted to save face. And I said, well, what am I going to do? He said, well, we're going to take it over here to the uh, guys in the Philippines. This guy's going to fix it for you because we don't fix it. This guy's never going to come back to work. Wild. So, so culturally huh. wanted to do everything right, but really struggled with that Western culture, that capitalist, hey, let's get stuff done at any cost and you had to learn to work through that now again we could argue why that's right or wrong i'll tell you it's an amazing culture and because of all those positives it made it a great place to work yet at the same time we had to help them understand that maybe it's not a good word to use so that's a cultural kind of thing that kind of tied in the business the other gotcha. business side of thing which is kind of interesting and again i was there late 90s they were so far ahead in technology related to wireless cell phones that we were literally decades ahead of the us which was a landline society sure so i'm going to india and we're just popping up satellites right and left doing these small distributorships and we're just popping them up and i'm like how are we doing the infrastructure it's all, it's all simple we got a cell phone over here and we got this little wireless thing and we spun this up and i'm like well how do you run the line and he's like rick you got to get out of this western mentality and so even while you're working in a second world country to some degree, they were much, much more advanced in technology. And so then I had to change my perspective on how we get things done. We also had to change our requirements to say, well, where's the security, the landline, et cetera, because we hadn't really even written policies for someone using Wi-Fi to run a distribution center because we were only dealing with mainframes. And so that was a real technical change that we had to make some ebbs and flows work because they were so far ahead of us. And so those are the kind of things that describes the wild, wild west. 
is that you can't come in and shove in your processes and shove in you know your requirements you've really got to come in with principles and you turn those principles into realities based on the culture and infrastructure that's in front of you so that was a key learning for me I, I actually think that's really good advice, especially now that so many people are trying to create these global businesses and even hire people in different parts of the world, right? Is trying right. to cram your culture down their throat. In a lot of cases can very much backfire or it just yeah. doesn't translate very well. Yeah, I mean, you can you can push for so long, but, but eventually you've got to understand that um, for the most part, people want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And you've got to, again, I, I'm a principal guy. So you've got to lay out the principles and kind of ebb and flow a little bit on some rules and requirements. And if you do that, you're going to end up in a really, really good place. But if you come in with a rule-based mentality and not really understand the culture and the business processes in front of you, it could be a long road to hoe. It could, it could be tough. Interesting. Okay. So you take this buyout and you use that as seed money yeah. for a field agent, correct? Well, it was it, we we did a few startups before then. So okay. think of think of the the buyouts. Again, if you're a corporate person now and you've got a, a chance for a buyout, you can do the buyout and go travel Europe for three months. You could take the sure. buyout and go hang out with your friends, or you could take the buyout, you know, really live a capped lifestyle, minimize your expenses, and that buyout is better than Kevin showing up as an angel investor saying here's a hundred grand, 200 grand, go start this project. But here are the, here's all the, the ties and all the, the, all the little, you know, aspects of working with Kevin. Well, I don't want to work with Kevin. I've got this lump sum coming my way. What can I do? So that's how we combined our four entities, if you will, coming together, use that as funding. And so it became, you know, several hundred thousand dollars for us to launch a business. And we launched in 2001. Okay. Uh, in the fall. I just transferred from Bangkok back here to Northwest Arkansas in this Walmart hub that was here. We had a ton of people that were wanting to work with Walmart, but primarily had sales and accounting people. Okay. And we came in and said, gosh, let's take the expertise we have with PNG and come alongside and help you with shopper marketing, shopper research, branding. And so our very first client call, I'll never forget this. We were, again, starving, making sure we watched every penny. Uh, we, had a we had a friend in Orlando that was going to let us stay with a guy in Orlando. And so... We were on a flight as my business partner, Henry Ho and myself, and we're flying to Orlando and we're, we, we, we had to stop in Memphis because the direct flight was too expensive and we're watching our pennies. We get to Memphis like at 8.45 in the morning and the flight attendant's like, oh, listen, flight's been canceled. Things kind of crazy. Not sure if you're going to make it to Orlando today. We're like, oh my gosh, the very first client, very first call. This is terrible. Well, as we walk down the hall, so let's go grab a cup of coffee. And so, Kevin, we walked down the hall, walked into a little cafe, and we watched the second plane hit the World Trade Center. Oh, wow. So our startup was September 1st. Ten days later, 9-11 hit. And so for six months, we were really, really happy we had some angel funding from our old company. And so what it forced us to do is that while we had this idea of where we were going, you can imagine the number of meetings, engagements we had with potential clients kind of honing in our offering. So that was a good thing for us. Now, I'd rather do more A-B testing live. That was a good thing. And about six, nine months later, really was able to launch the shopper marketing, shopper research, you know, branding company. Now, you fast forward to 2009, and uh, that's when we started the engagement on field agents. So I'll pause there before I get into the field agent story. Sure. Okay. So 
the, the thing that's interesting about what you just said is like a lot of people, okay, 9-11 would happen and they would just quit, right? So right. how did you know to keep going and, and figure it out, right? Because I think that in itself could have been a deal breaker for you guys. Well, it, it could have been. And so again, as, as people are listening to this podcast, we knew inherently because the people we had talked to, we were solving a problem and people were willing to pay us for it. And Kevin, okay. I think we talked this the last time we were going through the, the yep. best advice I'd ever received as a, an entrepreneur was in that two or three week period of getting started when the Dr. Steve Gray's came to us and he said, listen, there's 20 points I could give you. Here's number one. You are only as successful as you can invoice and collect. Yeah. He said, if you can't do that, you've got an expensive hobby. And Kevin, what we knew, because we had talked to enough friends in the area that were doing this work for other CPG companies, non-PNG people, they were willing to pay us for the service. So I, we knew we had it. Okay. And again, I'm a faith-based guy. And so everything, my prayer life, I mean, everything's telling me this was the right way to go. And so then the question is, and, and, and do you waste that six months? You know, what am I going to go work out? Am I going to go hang out? I mean, don't waste it. So it forced us post PNG all together, the four of us and a couple other folks to really get down and hone our craft, to hone in on what our product offering, service offering was going to be. Um, there's a, a, a great guy that, that's, uh, that wrote this paper on uh, not wasting your cancer. My wife's a breast cancer survivor and you know she was reading this and hey, you, I know I've got cancer, I, it's gonna happen. So don't waste that time. My wife also does jail ministry and she goes into the prison saying, hey, you're incarcerated for 18 months, don't waste this time. And so what we saw, we told each other, we've got about six to nine months, let's not waste this time. And so that was the part that we were going through. We knew we had a great, uh, great solution to a problem but now we had six more months to go hone it and we just had faith that we go work out. And sure enough, six or so months down the road, it all started to kick back in again. And we were probably more prepared, Kevin, than we would have been even week one or two. Fascinating. Okay. So walk us through what became field agent and then what it is today and how it's evolved in the yeah. 12 plus years that you've been doing it. And then I want to dive in and get your thoughts around kind of the pandemic and how you've had to shift your business and how retail's had to shift. You bet, you bet. So as the listeners are here, I want you, I'm gonna take you back to the pre-selfie days. Okay, yep. Now, most people look at their phone today, smartphone, and you have sw this massive sweeping assumptions about this phone. It's always been that way. Yep. But in January, 2009, iPhone 3S had just come out. And again, Kevin, this is crazy, crazy fast. It had a, <laughs> had a three megapixel camera. It was the rage, right? Yep. It was the phone. But remember, had no front facing camera, so nope. no selfie, had no video unless you jailbroke it. And yep. the app store had only been open for programmers for about four or five months. It was still brand new territory. Right. So what we were doing is that we were sitting around a table, really, really cool iPhone 3Ss, and we were Googling on that, not our computers, because the BlackBerry <laughs> guys couldn't Google it, but we could, so we looked really, really cool. And we're Googling to find out if anyone was using technology on the iPhone, smartphone, to be able to capture data from retail locations or homes 
and use the metadata to QC it back in to determine whether or not it was valid. Because at the time, the problem we had as a marketing research firm, we're literally traveling all over the US, flying everywhere to either assess what we put up in stores to see if it was right, right. or B, trying to talk to people in the stores to see what they wanted. And we were spending tens of thousands of dollars just to get people to go into stores to tell us what was happening. Because you, you know this from a retail standpoint, just because your local store looks like this, it doesn't mean the other stores you know, in 50 states look that way. Right. So Googling it and the business model at that time was download an app and hopefully click on an ad to get paid money. Download an app, hopefully they're going to click on the ad to get paid money. And no one was pulling any data from the user. They were only pushing fun games and toys to them. And so we sat down for a few more months and said, ah, someone's got to be doing it by now. And they weren't. And so we made the decision in around May, June of 2009, we're going to be like those people, Kevin, that are sitting around at a party and they said, you know, I invented TikTok. I just didn't have the time, but I had the idea first. Right. And you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> you didn't. You know, and it's just going to be arrogant, right? Yeah. We didn't want to be those guys. So we were managing five LLCs at the time. Okay. We five different companies. We had, you know, a bunch of employees and we started working nights and weekends again. It felt like September, 2001. And we worked nights and weekends, brought in developer Kelly Miller, who's one of my co-founders. And in April, 2010, launched the first app in iTunes that paid you cash. Wow. Everyone else was badges. Remember when Square was out there and yeah. you could go and become the mayor of Seattle or something. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they had badges and points. And we were yep. also the first app to use geolocation metadata to qualify locations of information. And it was earth shattering. It was shocking. So we launched on 11 o'clock at night on the 17th of April, thinking no one's going to notice. Within a couple of hours, we had several thousand downloads. By Tuesday, we did a simple press release. We were interviewed by CNET, Wall Street Journal. No one believed us that you could actually get paid to use your phone. And the rest was history. We just started driving down that path from that point forward. But that's that's the the whole primary aspect of this. If you're a listener to this, is we knew there was a problem. We knew we could solve it. Sounds familiar from September of 2001, right? We had this problem yeah. we're solving. We knew the technology was going to solve a problem. We leaned into it. But Kevin, what was crazy at that time? Think about it. Every business person we talked to had a BlackBerry. Yep. There may have been a cool 21, 22 year old that just got out of school that had two phones, an iPhone and a BlackBerry. Because remember, yep. in yep. those days, the exchange system for email wasn't secure enough. So all corporations just banned iPhones. It was just a toy. Yeah. I, remember so I am that. literally <laughs> explaining it to VPs, senior VPs, how the phone works. And they would say, Well, Rick, if someone takes a picture with their phone, how are you going to train them how to use the phone? To take a picture <laughs> and they said yeah but even if they take the picture how are you going to get them to download the photo onto their computer so that they can send you the photo wow i mean it you'd never have that conversation today right no yeah. those days are like well why would why would someone believe you could give them money are you going to send them checks i said <laughs> no we're just going to send it via paypal it's like well how how do you do that i, I don't get it so it was crazy, crazy complex, even though you and I both know it really was a simple process because we were changing the way 
the world collected information. And so that was a really cool time, but it took us a lot longer than we thought to get acceptance. It probably took us about 18 months until the iPhones became more normal before people really got on board and understood what we were doing. Okay, fascinating. So how has Field Agent evolved to what it is today and how have you stayed relevant and changed with the trends? Well, the good news is, Kevin, I do not have to explain how to use an iPhone. Yeah, fair. That's the beauty, you know, they, they totally <laughs> get it. But, but if you're if you're thinking through the practical part, um, today we've had over 2 million downloads. Wow. We're in seven other countries. Wow. And the premise behind of what we do today went from a very base beginning of what we do, which is tell me the price of an item in a store, take a photo of an item. That quantitative data piece that we started out as our mainstay started to grow as we increased in downloads and demographics. Because now someone says, hey, instead of sending in Kevin and Rick, what if we sent in a couple of thousand moms that had little babies and had them go to the baby section? Not that Rick and Kevin couldn't take a photo of the display or take a photo of the shelf, but now I want those moms to tell me what they think about the shelf. Right. Tell me what they think about the price. So, so the qualitative insights, they're like, oh my gosh, this is golden because you have literally hundreds of thousands of people that will give me their opinion in near real time. So that was that next phase. That was probably year two, three. We finally got enough scale to do that. And then from that, over the last three years, we started dipping our toe into, and now one of the, the probably the fastest growing area we're in today is around trial sampling marketing. Okay. So now the question is, hey, Kevin and Rick are at the shelf. We can answer the question, but you think that mother of two while she's there, do you think that maybe she would buy the product, try the product, and either answer some questions or possibly even do a rating some review? We're like, sure she would. So now we literally have created a trial mechanism that you're not giving away cheese at a Costco and feeding people on, you know, on the Saturday afternoon. Right. We're sending a core demographic, Kevin, and say, hey, Kevin, uh, you like um, beer. And so how would you like to try some Budweiser seltzer? And we'll pay you to try it and reimburse you for your purchase. So we can you know, go get core demographics and create a trial mechanism unlike anything you've seen. So the scale we offer now for quantitative and qualitative opinion is great. But you start getting into the marketing world, it's crazy what we're doing. So that was over the last three years. And then I'm going to tell you what we've just launched in January, but I'm going to pause there. So if you've got any questions there, I'm going, to, I'm going to walk you through what we've just launched. Okay. I, I think the thing that's interesting to me then is you could figure out in your seltzer example, like what's popular in different parts of the country, if that seltzer's in other parts of the world. So you can gather like almost down to the city or specific geographic region, what's working and what's not working for your customers, fair to say? Absolutely. So Kevin, are you a beer drinker? Uh, I'm celiac, so I drink like gluten-free beer, but yeah. <clears throat> okay, so let's, let's, you're even a better example. You're a gluten-free beer guy. Okay. And so what's your favorite brand? Oh, the name, uh, Glutenberg's not bad, and there's one other one I can never pronounce the name. I'm gonna but... use Glutenberg as an example. Okay. Let's say that Glutenberg has a main competitor, and yeah. they're looking for gluten-free drinkers of that beer. now. If I did a screener to try to find, you know, a couple hundred people or a thousand people, yeah, you never know how they're going to answer. But here's the the power of the smart device. I'm saying, Kevin, show me an open bottle, yeah, of Glutenberg, with a fork beside of it. 
Right. Okay. You cannot make up that photo, right? You can't find it online. So you can't scam me. So now I go back to the brand and say, I now have found a thousand people that drink gluten. But how do you know? Because they've got empty bottles. Yeah. And a forks beside of it. Now I'm going to ask you to go buy and try the competitor for the first time. So not only am I getting an interested person, I'm getting a diehard person in this category that really knows the that particular brand. And for the first time, I'm getting you to switch and try another brand. Right. What do you think that's worth to a company? It's almost priceless. priceless. Yeah. As opposed to, I hope I can do some sampling. You can't even do that with beer. So you take that exact same scenario around mascara, hair color, shampoo, you know, lunch meats, deli items. We find core people because I can validate with 100% certainty that they're a Papa John's purchaser and I can send them to another quick serve restaurant because I know because they've shown me receipts or they've shown me a, uh, a, 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 a an online version of their credit card statement with their thumb over their name and their, and their account number. And I can show they purchased Papa John's over the last you know, couple of months. Right. And I said, Hey, would you like to try a little Caesars? They're like, sure. It's crazy the amount of detail that phone allows you to capture. All that being said, that's kind of the rhythm of which we're bringing things in from a sampling standpoint, which has been fantastic. Sure. Okay. So let's dive into what you just launched then in January. All right. So if you're, if your listeners are, you got to put yourself in that demographic age now, you're millennial, Gen Z. Okay. Uh, are you, uh, you know, Generation Jones, which is not quite a baby boomer, not quite a, you know, millennial. Based on where you are, you have either grown up with or transitioned into viewing your online experience from a B2C standpoint as Amazon driven. Right. It, it just, it the world that we have, everyone's copying. You could argue if you're a target of Walmart, someone else could be doing unique, new and unique things, but let's not overthink this. Amazon is driving the conversation at B2C. Yeah. In that world, what we started to find, and COVID kind of reinforced this to some degree, is that we've got fewer and fewer people that really want to have two meetings, two phone calls, and a you know six-week process to develop an SOW just to get a $500 project launch. Because here's what we've learned, Kevin, is that if you bought a TV on Amazon for, let's say, $2,500, it's a 75-inch Sony something. Okay. Or do you click and want to talk to a salesperson on Amazon? No, <laughs> but you're going to drop 2,500 bucks, right? Yeah. Uh, how many friends do you know that have either purchased a car on Vroom or Tesla and bought it sight unseen? A, a number, a number of them now. Like it's almost like you too many to count. So you're spending 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, hundred thousand dollars. But you, but you know, Rick, in order for me to do a ratings review project, I got to be honest with you. I really want to have two or three meetings. And I'd really just love to talk to someone. I'm like, why? <laughs> why? It'd be, really? And so what we've created, and we launched this in January, we've created, we've created the first B2B marketplace okay. that acts and looks like, to some degree, the same experience you would get on Amazon. So we spent the entire time of COVID productizing the services that could be productized. And we'll talk about what that means in a second. 
okay. so that you can go to our marketplace and you can click, click, answer a couple of questions, go to a cart and check out and never talk to a human being. So now imagine we had a person two weeks ago that launched a $50,000, you know, multi thousands of store audit. They clicked three times, answered two questions, hit submit, and never talked to a soul. Fascinating. Now, now the question becomes like, yeah, but I just feel better about three phone calls and two meetings to launch the $1,000, the $2,000 project. Now, what's happening in your age group, right? You're millennial, right? Yeah, I'm a 38, so kind of geriatric millennial. But, but still, yeah. even, even <laughs> geriatric millennial, you're even saying, man, do I really need to have three meetings? to buy this the answer is no so what's happening is that as we're we're bringing younger people in people in 20s and 30s into major decision making modes they've gone into the b2b world saying i don't know that i need to have all those meetings maybe i think i can you know bypass that to some degree and so even the stat i think forrester came out with a stat that said i think it's three out of every four b2b buyers would rather self-educate yeah, totally. than to have a salesperson. That's, that's, that's me. Right? That's well, you, right? So I, then they said like 75% of B2B procurement spending is going to be happening online marketplace in the next five years. Yeah. So we saw that. We saw it in the business that we had. And so when you go to fieldagent.net and you click on shop, it takes you into our marketplace and you can now buy our products and never talk to a soul. And the beauty of this, Kevin, is much like Amazon starting out with books, we now have taken into new categories that we are not providing the, the product. So we now have a third party mar merchandising provider. We have a third party that will provide you a photo shoot for lifestyle or just the white background photos for your website. Uh, we've got e-commerce providers that are on there because they need to get their products into a marketplace environment because they realize the same thing. People are tired of going after all the meetings. Interesting. No, I 100% agree with you. I, and I think, and I don't mean it to sound arrogant. I usually have found it. I know more about the salesperson that is trying to sell me that specific product because I've watched, you know, hours of reviews and read a bunch of articles and like, I know what I'm buying. And I think a lot of people are like that yep. where it's almost impossible for a salesperson to know every specific detail about everything that they're selling, right? Where if I know the make and model I want, I'll research it till I, I know everything there is to know about it. And then when I buy it, well, you're not going to convince me of some other product because I've done all that, right? So now let's think about the, the end. We'll give you some, some I'm an analogy storytelling guy. Okay. Kevin, here's the story. Uh, the next industry that's facing this is going to be real estate. Sure. You go to Zillow, you go to realtor.com, you look through things saying, why do I need a real estate agent to walk me through the house? I've got a video tutorial. I saw, I mean, I told him I'm going to now spend 200,000, half million dollars, a million bucks. I might never physically go in again. Do I really need a realtor to make that happen? Now you, you fast forward a little bit and you look at the world of COVID and, and the poster child for example, for an example. So if you're a services company, I want you to think about this. Um, Zoom was one of the big winners in COVID, mm -hmm. right? I think they went from 30 million users to 200 million in six months. Wow. Yeah. Now here's the math and I, and it's not my math, but I, I saw it on the internet. So it's gotta be true. Right. But I saw a study that said if they'd use traditional sales and demo methods where you click, 
schedule a demo, have someone explain it to you, and then you sign up, it would have taken them 10 years and they would have had to have hired 103,000 new sales reps just to go from 30 million to 200 million in six months. And that's seven days a week, 10 hours a day, 30 minute phone calls. Yeah. So the scaling part of a marketplace or a kind of that product led approach is important. So for a services company, like, yeah, but Rick, I don't think they're going to buy it from, they need to meet me. They need to know me. I mean, they're going to love my team. And so that could be true. But what happens to people like Kevin, who's saying, I've already researched three companies. I've looked at your reviews. I get it. I want the, the least friction, the most frictionless experience I can have to get great results. And so I want to be able to click, click and go to a cart. Now, if you're a services company, now you got to think about how you productize things. And that's what we learned over COVID. There's some secret sauce to saying, yeah, I've got a custom project and I need to spend time with you. We're always going to have custom projects. But you and I both know, Kevin, that for most services, it's 80-20 model, right? For 80% yeah. of the executions of a service, it's the same questions. It's the yeah. same engagement. There's always going to be 20, 30% that's going to be custom. We realize in our products today, I think we have close to 35% of our volume already running through this marketplace, never talking to a soul. They're so happy they can't stand it because it's like, man, 10 o'clock at night, I don't have to call you. I just click, click, go to cart. When I get up in the morning, my data is already there. And that's the new world we started to see in our marketplace that we've launched. And we're just now bringing in other third parties. And we think we're going to revolutionize this the same way we revolutionized collecting data back in 2010. Fascinating. Okay. So how do you stay up on these trends and decide to add these feature sets and, and like this marketplace? Because that can be really challenging, right? And in, in a lot of cases can make or break your business. It's a big bet, Kevin. Listen, we're not we're not out of the woods yet. I mean, we're, right. I'm talking you through a concept that intuitively the, when you go talk to 10 people after this phone call, not one person will say, I'd rather talk to a car dealer. I'd rather talk to the sales guy about the team. And no one's going to say that. So intuitively we know we're right. The question becomes, are we a year too early? Are we six right. years too early? Are we, are we in the middle? I mean, that's, that's the bet, right? And we, this is field agent after talking to our customers, I think we're probably a hundred deep in interviews. Not one person has ever said, nah, I'd rather talk to you. They're all like, huh, okay. if you could provide an Amazon experience for me, I totally would go that route. I mean, not one person has said, nah, I'd rather have more phone calls with you. Not one person. Now, that being said, there's always big projects, big customized things over here. I'm not talking about that, but these right. are the basic core things. So intuitively, I know that, but because there are people, not 38, people that are still older that have certain expectations. We're a little bit early in driving it. But as people, the millennials and Zs become in influential positions, they're going to say, why are we wasting all of our time in meetings? Why aren't we just click, click, click and go? And, and they get it. So we're a little bit early. We got to be brave to be able to push forward. And since our clients are asking for it, we feel really confident on where we're going. Okay. So I'm curious how do you come up with these kind of thoughts and principles and, and kind of changing the rules? Because that in itself can be 
really and it's scary and how do you know what to you know build or compared to like maybe we need to shelve that or or, or whatnot because you've kind of you talked about kind of your principles and rules earlier on in the conversation yeah, yeah so i think it, part of it think of your life and again for your listener think of the ideas you're like oh i did have that idea i'm just not cocky enough to say at a party i had it before somebody else and didn't have time to do it i mean we all see things that there are, are certain brain styles and certain personalities would say yeah i see it but i'm not willing to take the risk so now i want to switch over and talk to the entrepreneurs out there as an entrepreneur if you know you've got a product or a service that solves a problem yeah if you know i mean you know it you know it, and you've got someone that's going to pay you for it and the words of guy kawasaki you know if you're, if you're a guy he's pushing on this and saying listen if you've got that don't spend the next three months or next two years trying to make it perfect get your product into the market and i think his words are ship your product with elements of crappiness don't ship crap but ship your product with elements of crappiness and listen to what your customers tell you and that's going to take you let's if you literally leapfrog what your own brain says the product should look like and we have the confidence now kevin to do that our marketplace isn't perfect. Right. There are some clicks and little, you know, edges. We wish we've had the UI UX standpoint a little bit better, sure. but man, it does a great job. It does what it's supposed to do. And we're now listening to our customers. They're saying, man, my experience would be better if you did this. And we're confident that we can go turn that back around and give them the experience they're looking for. That being said, we could have come up with this concept of the marketplace, just like field agent and waited two or three years. You know it's going to happen somebody else is going to do it because yeah. the industry we see it kevin there's nothing in my my mind body and soul right now that says that in the next five ten years we're not going to see multiple services company enter into a product-led engagement that's going to have some form of a marketplace because we simply aren't going to be going to tolerate someone saying yeah i'll get you on my schedule in two weeks let's have a phone call about that those days are gone right I'm confident they're gone. No, yeah, I 100% I agree with you. I'm, I'm curious though, what advice do you give to people to actually take that idea and actually go for it? Because it's easy for somebody like me and you that have actually made that leap and, and built a startup and built a company. And I always joke the best motivation to making things better is when you're embarrassed by what's live and people are using and it's <laughs> similar to what you just mentioned, right? Right. like how do you actually encourage people to actually make that leap and and start building that idea yeah so i, I you can imagine in, in my world the number of people with an idea that show sure. up on my doorstep saying hey rick this is I, I received one gosh two weeks ago a week ago here's the plan i only need five hundred thousand dollars to get this thing launched right i said okay um have you manually gone through the process have you talk to a stranger that wants to buy this. Nope. But I know it's going to be awesome. And my friends and family, my mom, my brother, my two cousins, and my wife said, it's amazing. All I need is $500,000 from you, Rick. And I'm like, that's just not what we're talking about here. <laughs> you know, yeah. And so my encouragement to people is that if you have the passion and you think this thing is going to work, all you need are a handful of strangers that are willing to pay you for something that you can gut it out and manually do if you get that piece going then i'm saying take the leap 
if you're not willing to do that and you want to keep talking about things in theory and you're not going to leave until you have a bunch of money to make sure you're going to be safe and say, listen, you don't have the guts. You don't have the, the, the willpower. You do not have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. You're just coming up with the interesting idea that you want someone to pay you as an employee to go try. And that's not what we're talking about here. Now, I know there's things that are in between and I don't want to talk to pick on anyone that's raised several hundred thousand dollars from an angel to get started. But ultimately, you've got to be willing to step out. And as a good investor, you're going to wonder, it's like an episode of Shark Tank. Man, you've got an idea. You sold it to three people. You just want me to pay you to, to manage something. That's not what I'm doing. You need to have some skin in the game. And most of the time, the skin is time, effort, and a little bit of money to push something out to get complete strangers to buy it. That's the biggest leap. And, and to a person, Kevin, I probably, the majority of the people I've talked to just aren't willing to do it. They're not willing to take the step to go manually do the things they have to do nights and weekends to make it work. They want someone to pay them to leave their job to go try it. No, I 100% agree with you. It's interesting just like it's hard and it sucks yeah. and it's the greatest thing I've ever done and the worst thing I've ever done at the exact same time. But you need that kind of mindset that you just outlined, that you just are willing to do it no matter what and you don't need hundreds of thousands of dollars or even tens of thousands of dollars to really build version one of your product, especially or service, especially if you can do it manually. Here's a simple one. And this is for the, you know, the, the younger people that are listening to this thing. There was a guy that had an idea that he was going to pick up the trash from the apartment complex front door because the college students didn't want to walk the trash down to the dumpster. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's my idea. He said, I'm going to put an app together or roll this thing out. And all they got to do is set their trash outside. And when they set it outside, I'm going to pay a guy to come pick it up. They're going to take it to the dumpster. And I said, who's going to pay for this? Oh, the parents pay for it. You know, these college students, they don't care. It's another five bucks a week or 10 bucks a week. Who cares? And he said, this is the concept. I said, well, have you done it yet? He said, nah. I said, well, why don't you go to the apartment complex? And why don't you see how many people will pay you five or $10, do some A-B testing. And you get up on six o'clock on Wednesday morning and take the trash out. I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, dude, <laughs> why would someone give you money when you're not even willing to go work some early hours to go see if you can't sell this thing? He's like, well, I know it'll work. I said, says who? He says, my buddies, we don't want to do the trash and we pay for it. You see what I mean? So it's that, yeah, interesting. that aspect. Now, again, I'm picking on a few people, sure, but, but that's still kind of the tendency that says, I'm not willing to take the risk. And, and you and I both know this. If you learn anything as an entrepreneur, you've got to put things on the line. You just do. And by putting those things on the line, it's primarily your time, your money, your reputation, your ego, all that has to be set up. And you've got to move forward and try. And when people see that, they invest in you and the product. If they don't see that, they're not going to invest. No, I, I think that's really good advice. But I'm curious then. Where do you learn some of these concepts? Like, do you listen? Do you read quite a bit? Do you listen to podcasts? A bit of both, or how have you kind of learned some of these things along the way? You know, I'm a decent podcast guy. I mean, I've got okay. a few that are out there that that are trying to encourage me. I tell you, the one that I've been listening to recently, uh, and it's primarily driven by the, the marketing and the funnel work we're doing today. 
Okay. Uh, it used to be called Flip My Funnel. It's now called Move, like a go-to-market podcast by Sangram, the guy that okay. uh, the co-founder of Terminus. Are you familiar with him? No. Fantastic. He does. He literally does a daily podcast. That's crazy. Wow. Right? A daily yeah, that's podcast. A lot of work. A lot of work, but he's got these 15, 20 minute conversations with all these people in the industry. And it's just really, really interesting how he looks at the funnel. And so a ton of things there that are coming up. Um, another guy that I loved to listen to, and again, he's primarily driving the kind of the leadership thing. His name is Andy Stanley. He's a leadership guy out of North Point, uh, out of Atlanta. Uh, and he does just a once a month. 30 minute leadership thing. It's really, really straightforward that kind of helps you go through, through things. And then if you get to the entrepreneurial side of things, and again, you could argue kind of where does that, that fit as you go in? There's, there's one that I've been listening to that brings a lot of entrepreneurs in, in kind of the Midwest part of the world I live in. Uh, it's called Middle Tech. These okay. guys have been around for four years and they're bringing in people like me, people like you. And it's just encouraging to hear the stories because there's some repetition, but it has that same vein that you're hearing right. on how guys do some startups. So I listen to those pretty often uh, to get interesting information coming in. And then I've got a couple of health ones that we would talk about, but those are the primary ones I listen to all the time. Interesting. And and I know we've talked about this before when we, we've chatted, but you're obviously not in San Francisco or New York. How is How have you found that to be an advantage and maybe some disadvantages and maybe the disadvantages are gone now because of just where we are in the world today. So what's your thoughts on that? You know, I wish my disadvantages were become gone because of the way the world we're in today, but let's, let's talk about working remote. Okay. I mean, there was a day that just listen, Northwest Arkansas, it's, it's fantastic. The cost of living's great. The weather's fantastic. You have the Ozarks. It, it's just, it's just really a little ecosystem with, you know, three, multi-billion dollar companies of Walmart, JB Hunt, and Tyson all right here. You've got people transitioning in. It's a growing economy. But what happened with COVID is that now you've got the coast saying, hey, instead of moving to Silicon Valley and you're an engineer or you're a customer experience person, I'll pay you Silicon Valley wages and you can still live wherever you want to. So for the first time in our life, we're getting you know some poachers coming in looking at our talent because I'm not trying to convince you to go sleep on a couch in San Francisco. Right. You can continue to live where you are. So that's, that's number one. We're, we're kind of facing that in this economy that, that we're, 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 we're dealing with. Okay. On the other side of that, uh, we continue, I, we, we call people that leave field agent alumni. And okay. so they leave and from an alumni standpoint, you know, we'd love to stay engaged. And if I was your mentor yesterday, Kevin, if you leave tomorrow, why would I stop being your mentor to continue to help you be a great person? Right. Uh, we've had quite a few people come back to Field Agent oh, after they've been out two or three years thinking they're going to give something a shot and realize it didn't work out so well. But what's been interesting, they've gone out and gotten great experience. Right. We already knew they were tied in great with our culture. And so we welcome them back in and says, yeah, let's come back in and see what we can do for you and see what kind of role you're going to play. So, so the COVID thing, we, we've seen that kind of play out in the first piece I talked about, but also within this whole aspect of the ecosystem we're driving, uh, we feel pretty good about the machine we've built. And we've been pleasantly surprised with the number of folks that are coming back our way after they've dipped their toe in another culture. Interesting. Any advice for fostering that culture where, people actually want to come back and work for you and uh, the rest of the team of field agent? Yeah, I, I think it's the genuineness. I mean, it, it, Kevin, you, you know, you've got your, 
you know, the guys you do life with. And uh, my encouragement to anyone that's managing, like our, our team is close to a hundred people today. Oh, wow. And, you know, you've got to have the directors and your VPs thinking the exact same way, which is if you are genuinely concerned about Kevin and I'm pouring into Kevin and Kevin said, you know, I, it's just not what I want here. Would you help me find something else? Right. If you get that conversation, we know our culture has hit it. So that's my encouragement to the listeners, as opposed to, I don't trust Kevin. I'm not sure. And I give Kevin a two week notice. Right. Now, when that person tells you they're looking for something and you come alongside them and you help them move somewhere else and Kevin, you still reach out to say, hey, that's not weekly mentorship now, but once a month, let's have coffee and kind of check in and how are you doing? And how can I help you navigate? That person not only realizes you were concerned about them as an individual, but what do you think they're telling every other person they run into? Yeah, and that culture with Kevin and those guys, if you ever get a chance, you should go work there because they're the real deal. And we have found that our market, our reputation stands for that. It, we're stand-up people concerned about individuals. Now, again, I don't want Kevin to leave. I want Kevin to stay, right? Right. But if that's the case, I want you to help be the most successful human being I can create. I want it to be the most give you help you have the most significant impact you can have on society. And so that's going to make us all better. But that is a culture thing that you've got to ingrain in your team. And I think we've seen tremendous benefits from that. Interesting. And, and I guess at the end of the day, well, and you could give me your thoughts on this, is if you create a good culture and it gets really hard to recruit people, the people with the best, best culture always win out. And it, that's not always related to money, correct? That is correct. Because whether you're an alumni here, or someone else, you can go chase, you know, dollar A and dollar B. Yep. And you can go chase that right position. And for a season, you can grind it out and, and deal with a toxic environment. You can grind it out working crazy hours to go make the money. And at some point in time, you're going to come back and say, yeah, but field agent, the salaries were close or they were within range. And I have this amazing environment where I can use my creativity and do these things. And you've got to weigh that out and say, you know, where do I want to work? And, and for some people, it doesn't really matter. They're not worried about the culture. They just want to make the dime and you should go do that. Right. But if you're interested in making something bigger, to be a part of something bigger than yourself, uh, that's where we've got folks looking at our culture to say, hey, not only is it a great work environment, you know, they're focused on the community. They're focused on other things. We're really trying to help people develop. And so that, you know, is is that that engagement that we have with them so they tell their friends and other folks so we know we're an aspirational person place to work but at the same time we know that there'll be people that say gosh i spent three years here five years here i want to do something different and kevin i don't think we should look down upon someone because they want to do that the genuine person says i mentored you yesterday you left tomorrow i'm going to continue to engage you in life as opposed to i mentored you yesterday I said all these things, you left today, I'll never talk to you again. That's just not genuine. And that stuff gets around. And so we feel like in our in our culture and our environment here in this community that we're known for that. No, I, I think that's that's really great of you guys, but we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, field agent in the marketplace, and anything else you want to mention? Yeah. 
I'm, I'm a pretty good LinkedIn guy. <laughs> so uh, the easiest way is just to DM me on LinkedIn. Find that Rick West, the field agent guy, really easy to find. Uh, would love to chat with folks. Even if you've got an entrepreneur listening to this story and wants to just banter around a few things, you'd be surprised how quickly I'd say yes to a 30, 45 minute call just to help you out. Um, on the practical side, if you're trying to make a few extra dollars, listen, we're the, the place you want to download our app and make a little extra cash. But more importantly, even if you're a startup, if you've got a product or a service and you want to do a concept test, or if you're a product or a service and you want to have someone be able to engage your product or be able to, to go out and tell you what the product looks like in the, in the real world, uh, simply go to fieldagent.net. You read a little bit about us, click on shop, and you're going to shop a little bit. You go right into our marketplace and you don't have to call Rick. You can click, click and do an audit, click, click and do sampling, click, click and do ratings and reviews, swipe your credit card. It's the best $8, $10 a pop you've ever spent a la carte all day long. And so that's the easiest thing folks can do. Perfect, Rick. Well, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Have a good rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Kevin, man, I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, Rick. Okay, bye. Well, John and Greg, what did you think of that? Oh, that that was great. Uh, didn't disappoint at all. It's all what I was expecting and more. Um, he's got great, great energy. He's got great insights into uh, into business, and I loved his uh, his journey from working at Procter and Gamble to to his market research firm, and then and then taking advantage of technology when he saw that. I I thought it was a it's one of those great business stories. Yeah, that was super cool. I mean, he. He's so passionate and very well spoken, I might add, too. So very easy to listen to that way. Um, and yeah, I, I thought it was, I, I, there's, there's actually more that I want to hear from. There are little nuggets in there that I think we could talk to Rick some more. I'd love to, to hear more about. And just personally, I kind of loved his, his comments about, um, about entrepreneurship and, and some things to help inspire entrepreneurs to, to to try um because it's taking the taking the risk is really really hard and so it was solid advice i think uh that he gave for people to to take on the risk as entrepreneurs uh before or as well at the same time as as seeking investment um yeah that was solid advice yeah other... I, I know he's one of those few people well, that like, I think this is the fifth or sixth time I've actually talked to him and interviewed him. Mm -hmm. And I still have always felt like I could go another hour. And I feel like every time that hour comes up, I'm like, I could ask him another hour of questions. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but John, you were going to say, well, he, he also is always trying to look around the corner too. And that's what I found it find interesting because, because he did yeah. adopt the use of the iPhone early on, just you know, seeing that it had a camera and how he could apply that to, to um, market research. And then how his new project is, he's looking around the corner of what's coming next. And um, I think that's interesting. Very cool. Thank you for tuning in to the learner.co show. If you're looking to be a guest, try out our app or want to get in touch, please visit learner with two L's at www.lleer.com. NER.co. The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Thanks for listening and keep on learning.